0: Welcome to The Big Deal, where we'll unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi, Dion Heyman and our expert guests, as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and more. Don't forget to sign up at www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities
1: welcome to another episode of the big deal i'm andrew montessi i've got afl legend warren treadray with me along with sports media veteran dion Heyman. welcome fellas g'day guys
0: good afternoon boys
1: now we've all got together to unpack a pretty big issue in the business of sport that certainly reared its head in our interview with swimming star kyle chalmers last week treaders
0: Certainly has, Monty and Dale. This one got some serious traction and I guess it is. It's athletes versus the media and we see it everywhere now with broadcast rights going through the roof. Kyle was pretty honest, let's face it. His perspective of the tensions with his media flare up uh, in Adelaide last year in the lead up to and during last year's Commonwealth Games, etc. And if you look at that process over the journey, it hasn't been a, a fluent one for him with the media. There's always been some issues going on. But our interview uh, made national headlines on multiple uh, media sources. And Kyle talked about why he won't stop uh, for an interview on the pool deck ever again. And oh, let's face it, let's hear a couple of snippets of what he said.
2: That Gian Rooney interview was the one that really knocked me around massively. It kind of sucked that someone that I'd had quite a lot to do with in my time dove into that and I think for me, I, yeah, won't stop and speak to Jan or speak on pool deck now because it's just I pay to race in that event you know what I mean like I my family pay to be in the stands and my grandparents come across to watch that meet I pay like I said to race in that competition it cost me $30 to race that race and I'm so proud of my achievement and then I get out of the pool and have that kind of happen you know I have no obligation to stop so it just doesn't happen in places like America you know they get around their athletes and they want their athletes to be successful and they're so proud of their athletes and what they're doing and Australia it's a funny culture like we try to cut cut them down and try and I definitely stood up against the media a lot last year more so because it was massively impacting me and affecting me mentally but I just worry about the next generation of athletes that come through and I'd hate for it to happen to the the next swimmer that comes through and I kind of just wanted to make a bit of a stand against hey this is this is not okay and this is the impact that you guys have on me and my teammates and what you're doing is not okay so for me it was important I think to stand up and kind of try and make a bit of a bit of a stand against that.
3: Some pretty strong comments there, Treaders, uh, from Kyle Chalmers. You've been a star athlete as well, under pressure. Then you jumped across into the media, and like Gian had to interview and put pressure on athletes, you have a pretty interesting perspective here. Does Kyle make a fair point? Is the media pressure on athletes unfair, do you think?
0: No, I think so, Dan. I think it's turned into clickbait, and, and I'm not necessarily having a crack at Gian Rooney's comments here with um, the question. I don't think the question was well-poised, to be honest. I thought it was a bit disrespectful, but... The bigger thing here, there's three, three parts of it. If you're an athlete, how would you feel after you've just qualified? Uh, I think it was the butterfly. You hadn't qualified before. Um, it was his event he's always loved. It's a great source of celebration. I think he ran a PB, and then he gets uh, questioned about why a certain other athlete hasn't made the team because of him. Well, I think that's dismissive of performance. No wonder Kyle was annoyed. Um, I'm not sure the history or how long this has gone back with Jan and Kyle, but I think from her perspective too, after being a high class swimmer, you know, representing Australia, going to Olympics and Commonwealth Games, I thought it was a bit dismissive of his performance, and I think she could have worded it better. But then again, the big one behind the scenes, as we all know in a newsroom or in live TV, there's a producer in the year telling you what to say. That producer, I suspect, has put that question upon her, and I don't know any more than this, but this is my read of it, to say, hey, the big story is, is that a former pop star is now not going to go off to the Commonwealth Games. This, our best swimmer, one of the best in history, has cost him a position. That is not the story for me. The story is how well this guy's done, And, and reality is, Cole, I thought, couldn't have answered any better. He says, i oh got everyone wanting to knock me off the perch. And the fact that I did it, did it pretty well. So I think the media's got to be better. I think the producers have got to be better to say, we want informative content. We want to celebrate stories, not kneecap everyone. And I think that's where we've got to.
1: I'm also keen on your perspective, Dion, having been in the game for, what, 30-plus years, producing media in sport the whole way through. I mean, you hear, you would have heard plenty of athletes complain about you know copping heat from journos and whatever else how do you see it from your side
3: well first of all guys uh, and, and from what you were saying treaders um you know you're probably right there probably was a producer in uh, gian's ear and and if that's the case that's pretty unfair on gian because you know you're setting her up to to basically uh, take the fall take the hit and uh, and I guess uh, if that's the case, then, you know, the network was obviously chasing a, a sensational response. They were trying to get under Kyle's skin and they ended up doing it. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure who wins out of that. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just pretty grubby really, isn't it? But um, I guess the keys, you know, the keys are that um, any journo worth his salt knows that where the line is when it comes to, you know, sensitive topics, uh, interviewing, um, interviewing, Various uh, athletes and and they also know which ones are fairly amenable and which ones are likely to fire up if the wrong, you know, muscle is poked or whatever. And uh, generally, I mean, we, we all pretty much know that uh, you know there are some things which are meant to stay uh, private, and and that means you know you don't uh, you don't make uh, publish uh, you know someone's private address or other personal information and particularly their personal relationships too, is normally pretty much uh, off the uh, off the radar unless it's, you know, it can get into areas uh, where we've seen recently where some uh, high-profile sports people um, maybe get involved with relationships with people they shouldn't, and uh, that becomes a story. But in terms of asking questions, you know, any decent journo knows where the line is. And a lot of media these days uh Unfortunately, I find tend to act more as cheerleaders rather than reporters. And uh, if anything, we get too many soft questions rather than hard questions of um, of, of uh, sports people. And, and 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 that that's that's certainly frustrated me over the journey. When you get a bunch of bunch of journos all you know having jokes with a guy, and, and you know there's obvious meaty questions to ask them, and and they just sort of ask some you know really soft questions and everyone has a laugh and walks away happy and it's pretty lame pretty boring content that you end up getting um for the for the tough ones you know as a journo you either have a relationship with a subject or you don't so you know you'll know pretty well whether you've got the right to ask a, a sports person uh, perhaps a, a little bit of a ticklish question and, and and you'll know whether you what sort of response you're likely to get if you do that um as far as Gian went, though, you know, I thought you know, it doesn't hurt to sometimes warm up a uh, an interviewee with a with a, a little bit of a, a softer question. So, in terms of Kyle, you know, probably Gian needed just give him a little bit of a pat on the back and say, "Well done, great race. How's the shoulder? You know, you, you killed it there." Before coming in with the the, the studs up question about uh, um, dulling uh, Cody Simpson out of a, a spot, so. Um, you know, these are all just interviewing techniques. It's pretty basic stuff, to be honest. I mean, uh, even if you if you studied media or you didn't, I mean, it's basic sort of human interaction. That you know, you know how someone's going to respond if you punch them in the ribs or if you give them a you know a little bit of a pat on the back. You, you're gonna you're gonna get the what you need by being a little bit more amenable to them and, and just treating them like a human being rather than a piece of meat.
0: Yeah, as you say, respect is a perfect thing, Dion, isn't it? If you go in with a hockey stick to the shins, it doesn't normally come out well. But um, I would have loved to have seen the broadcaster, as you say, do it right. Go go and speak to Kyle. Congratulate him. Then follow with the question and go, mate, can you feel for Cody Simpson, who's missed out on his dream, albeit hasn't been quite good enough to get there, what's your advice to him? Then go send a camera to Cody or go and speak to his manager and say, hey, would he be willing to talk to us about what it means and how close he's got to and what he needs to get better from? That adds to your broadcast as opposed to seriously pissing off one of the the people and the other one's probably dealing with their own losses too. And and let's face it, Cody's not going to want to sit there and feel like if he got the spot secondary to Kyle, he wants to earn it in his own right. And as you say, it all just comes back to respect and being respectful because... Athletes understand you're going to ask the best question. You know, you miss a, a, a footy goal out, 20 in front costs you the game. Well, you're going to have to cop it. You know, swimmer false starts or a runner false starts or someone doesn't perform. You know, someone cheats in drugs. You actually have to front up and answer the tough question. You get that. But when someone comes in trying to blow your legs off, when you know you're going to up against it, of course you're going to get your back up.
1: Yeah, and I think context is critical, particularly in sports media as well. Like you, you said it, you're on the pool deck. The context of that interview is very different. You're there, you're, you're talking about performance. If he's sitting there for a, a fluffy piece, for a new idea, he's got his pet dog on his lap and he's talking about his life. Okay, sure. We can tackle some of the the questions outside of the pool. So I do think that, that context is key there as well. But for the listeners, I mean, Dion, this is probably another one for you. How... What would you say actually attracts sports media attention? What, like, like, what are the things that really um, get the journo's licking their lips? Oh, look at, at the end of the day, sports not that dissimilar to news. I mean, it's
3: it's all about headlines, I suppose. For a you know to dumb it down a bit, it's, it's all about what's going to catch someone's attention, what's going to make it interesting, what's going to peep get people to turn the telly on or listen to that radio broadcast or pick up the paper or look online and and read a story. And and they're all the same sort of things in, in news as in sport. It's just a bit of a different genre. But in sport, you know, I mean, the things that uh, that we tend to like, I mean, we love winners or, or champion players. So, you know, think, you know, back to the likes of Michael Jordan back in the day or Novak Djokovic today. I mean, he keeps winning every year at Melbourne Park. Buddy Franklin... Probably not so much a winner in terms of of, uh, premierships. Uh, He's won a couple, but uh, as a champion player, you know, he's kicked over a 1,000 goals. Everything he does, he's he's a great of the game. He'll he'll be in the Hall of Fame. Dusty Martin wins three Norm Smith medals. Every time he plays in the grand final, Richmond win and he wins the medal. I mean, he's a champion player. So we love winners or champion players. We love losers because, you know, I mean, for every winner, there's got to be a loser. So, I mean, I immediately thought of, um, you know, Greg Chappell, Poor bloke, when he had that shocking run of uh, ducks, it's over 40 years ago now, but there was a season in 81 2, I think it was. He, he scored about six ducks in a row across three different, you know, um, one day and test matches. Poor bloke, couldn't buy a run, and he became front page news everywhere he went. Um, the West Indies squared him up. Uh, someone who misses a penalty, for instance, and costs, costs their team, uh, you know, a, a big match or a championship or they're out of a tournament, that's the kind of stuff to love. We love victims, uh, and that means, um, you know, people who are badly injured maybe, you know. It's always in, in footy, sadly, we see so many ACL injuries, and um, and that's always uh, big news whenever that happens. But any injuries, it's and also um, victims in terms of, uh, for instance, say, Uh, Eddie Betts, maybe, when he was um, uh, regularly subjected to that horrendous racial abuse. So he becomes a a, a subject of interest. Um, Any bizarre or unusual stories? Again, I think of Novak Djokovic uh, when he was deported last year Um, or, you know, big transfers in footy like, um, you know, Tom Mitchell, who's a Brownlow medalist and basically gets given away by Hawthorne um, and ends up at Collingwood where he's going to be a chance to play in a premiership side. So that's a, an interesting story. Um, anyone who's outspoken or makes outrageous comments, I mean, Nick Kyrgios is always uh, – and he's a little bit surly too, isn't he? But Nick uh, uh, has always got uh, something uh, inflammatory to say, uh, particularly at uh, post-match press conferences. Bad behaviour whenever a, a sportsman uh, is guilty of that. And, again, Nick's probably been guilty of that once or twice. Bernard tomic uh, comes to mind. Um, so you know, these are all the types of people that uh, and reasons that tend to attract the media's attention. But equally, the media has to remember that uh, you know there is a um, a duty of uh, respect, as you were saying before, Traders. There's a duty of pri- uh, to look after the player's privacy, and as we were talking about, you know, addresses, phone numbers, you know, even that can extend to the cars they drive. Sometimes keep that off the off the pictures. You've got to. Journalists have a code of ethics, and and, and it is their uh, duty to um, respect uh, privacy. Um, and, and the other ones, I mean, sometimes these things do get uh, swept under the carpet, though. In in particular uh, cases, and 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 I'm here. I'm thinking of uh, sportsmen that break the law. Once you've broken the law, it's just about all bets are off, and you can expect to be hounded to the edge of the earth, uh, including your own property. Um, you know, whether it's fraud or whether it's big like that or, or something a bit smaller like driving under the influence there are so many things these days you know uh, sporting teams have uh, relationships with uh, uh, all sorts of government agencies who tend to frown on those kinds of things so um, whenever, whenever that happens uh, you tend to find sports people are in all sorts of trouble and, and, and sadly you know there are tragedies too and and uh, we, we tend to get drawn to, um, you know, whenever sports people are dealing with personal tragedies, they tend to make news as well. Uh, sadly, for for all the wrong reasons. But but they're the kind of things that that um that tend to tend to make uh, the the sports media in particular pretty hungry, I reckon, guys.
0: It's funny too. You mentioned two names I just wrote them down: Buddy Franklin and Dustin Martin. If you're an AFL fan, um, I think. When they retire, it's going to be a tragedy that we don't actually know the people. You know what I mean? Like because of they don't like media, the way sometimes they're chased because they're high profile, they're a little bit elusive. It makes them uh, it was more f- fresh meat for a wild kill for the media. If you know what I mean, they want to find out about these guys. though they, they don't get much out of them. Um, the fact that they haven't been able to really open up like we know a danger field or a silver we think we do we know we, a robbie guy travis spoke we know a you know patty Cripps in the Brownlow speech last year was absolutely brilliant but we don't know these two and we don't know these two because they just don't trust and they're not going to open up um and, and understandable too because um martin how his dad was treated before he passed away and you know kicked out of the country for various reasons no one could really say but it was um, nefarious supposedly activity or whatever and get stuck in New Zealand and then COVID hits, you can't see his dad, his dad passes away. No no wonder he loses trust with the whole political such media um, that it is at the moment. So um, I think that's a dead set. Shane, you can go no clo- uh, far away, boys, than um, I think media pushing across the boundary of sport and politics. And then we talk- spoke about Puck Cummins um what, probably about a month ago about him saying, oh, well, you know, we shouldn't uh, do this, this and this and Origin Energy or whatever the major sponsor should be more green or I think what that was at the time. I can't remember the exact quote, but here we are. Victoria Azarenka at the Australian Open gets questioned about the uh, the war in Russia. And I-, I thought she answered it unbelievably well, effectively saying no matter what I say, I won't win because I don't know all the info. I'm only going for my own info. Um And either way, it's going to be clickbait and you're going to use me as an example. I thought she was absolutely superb in that. And the facts of the matter are, unless you're going to get involved in a topic, you'd want to know that you're pretty well researched in a topic first because uh, it will be slanted no matter what an editor wants and whatever that headline needs to read. And unfortunately, that's the world we're living in at the moment.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that's where it gets really unfair on athletes where they're expected to have an opinion on the latest whatever it is. You know, politics or or otherwise, just because they have profile, and I think, I think there are certain expectations that we can have of people who are in the spotlight. Like it it is, you know, there is a a point where it is part of your job. But that that Australian Open example was classic of this woman's a tennis player, and she shouldn't field those type of questions uh, at a press conference. And I, I think. As you guys said, I think she answered it really well, and and without picking a side, she she called out the, the the problem, and that was the line of questioning. I, I think it was totally unfair.
3: It's almost like she was prepped, but I don't think she was. Uh, you know, I think she did outstandingly well, and and you're quite right. I mean, I think sports people have an obligation, maybe to um, live um, within uh, some sort of a moral compass, shall we say, um, but. But when you throw questions like wars in Russia and and uh, and, and and other topics like that, just because you're a tennis player doesn't make you a, an expert on uh, what's going on in uh, you know military capers on the other side of the world. So yeah, really nasty. I'm really glad it was a real pleasure to see her answer that with such um, in such a dismissive way that it deserved. I thought.
0: Yeah, and also too, like bear a thought for the. The, the certain countries, Russian tennis players playing at Melbourne Park under the Australian Open who can't even play under their own flag. They're not the ones at war. You know what I mean? They're just playing tennis. There's a lot of politics, and, and we can say that it's never been entered. It's absolutely part of sport. It's infiltrated in sport, and unfortunately... Um, the powers to be have rolled over for that situation. Yeah, I know I can understand certain things when you you talk about the rushing doping they found out about years ago and why they had to compete at the Olympics under a independent banner, not under their own flag. But, geez, I think it's a bit rich when you're banning certain players from certain countries to play in certain tournaments. These are individuals. These are humans. Where's the human element gone?
1: Yeah, and quite interesting, uh, I guess, in all of this discussion with athletes and and media is athletes, I guess, can sometimes bite the hand that, that feeds them. I mean, yep. in 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 multiple ways. In that, um, you know, media people will quite rightly argue that um, media really pays the players' bills to some extent, particularly from a broadcast perspective.
0: Absolutely does.
1: And then and then there's the other side where a lot of these athletes, many of them who were quite surly with the media, go and transition into a career in the media when they finish playing sport. It's just bizarre.
3: It's funny when that happens, isn't it? I mean, I, you say that and I always think of uh, Alan Border, who's unashamedly my favourite cricketer growing up. And uh, But uh, he won the nickname Captain Grumpy. Um, and uh, certainly he had a bit to be a grumpy about uh, in the mid to late 80s, um, the way the team was playing and all the other pressures on him. But um, he he certainly became that. and But he's done a fantastic job in the media since. And really, I've always found him really interesting to listen to. And and mark War's another one I think he's a great media performer mark rule but he hated doing interviews back in the day uh, wasn't necessarily grumpy but uh, had a real um, ability to uh, disappear in airports and uh, you know find make make sure he uh, did as few interviews as humanly possible so it is interesting when these blokes uh, find um, a way uh, into the uh, the uh, the media that uh, for so long they uh, either didn't like or tried to steer clear of
0: you know, the one thing that's all common with a lot of people in that situation, and, and no one is exempt from this, it's the dollar. Get paid bloody well. You, instead of being out there fielding because you can't do it anymore, you sit there in the com box. It's uh, it's a pretty cushy living considering some of the money those blokes are be earning.
3: Well, it is, and they do it because they love the sport
1: too, and it's a great way to stay involved, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, it is, and and also I think um, you know it is a a bigger pick bigger picture issue, but career transition is very hard for athletes. It's like it's pretty hard for a bloke who's played three hundred AFL games to just go and step over into a corporate role. So, media is is always going to be attractive
0: thought that's just come in with this discussion, we see the games, whether it's NRL, AFL, ACB or Cricket Australia, whatever they're called now, uh, netball, um, they partner with a sport, with a TV network. They partner, right? So effectively, the Seven and Fox networks have the rights to produce and broadcast the AFL or whatever league, insert league's content on behalf of them. So so to a certain extent, they don't control the broadcast, the the game still controls the broadcast. And I find that relationship's good, where not very often you'll see commentators whacking the game or whacking head office because it has consequences, right? Um, And you can't be unashamedly truthful at times because there has to be an element of preserving the game and building up the game. But I'm not sure the broadcasters are necessarily broadcast not just the broadcasters, but they're, they're set newsrooms, whether they're a broadcaster or not spend a lot of time undermining the game or the individuals in the game in being coaches and players, um, it's an interesting take, isn't it? Because the game is protected, but the individuals in the game can be exposed and we see this, you know, from a mental health, from a physical health, from a chase out of the game or retired early point of view. Imagine if we took the partner's approach to the, to the players in perspective. We could grow the game and grow the individuals, as opposed to decimate and denigrate.
3: This partnership thing you talk of, Treaders, uh between um, broadcasters and and the game, um, reminds me of, I guess it was what, fifteen years ago or so, early two thousands, when the AFL somehow managed to um, build up a unwritten law that involved uh, evolved with all the TV stations, uh, not just the not just their own broadcaster, who I think was actually might have been nine at the time, but it was seven either side of it. But not just the broadcaster, but all the other stations as well. But when someone got reported, uh, we'd show the vision on in the news, but we wouldn't show the exact moment of impact. Of, so that moment where the fist hits the face or the elbow hits the the the, the face or whatever. We freeze the action there and not show it because that's uh, you know damaging the fabric of the game and showing how um, how uh, dangerous the game is, which in turn um, might to provoke mum to tell little Johnny that he can't play football anymore because it's too rough a game. That was the whole theory behind it, and the AFL got away with this for years, four or five years, and then all of a sudden, enough enough people in in the news industry said now enough's enough we're just uh we're going to show it a couple of people went rogue and just said well we're showing it and then once that happened the floodgates opened a bit and everyone's just decided well yeah let's do it and you know i mean the afl was originally threatening well if you're going to show this vision and not freeze it at the point of contact well we're going to have to take away your rights so you to get into the game like your, your um media rights and stuff it's like Really, this is what—it's incredible—the amount of uh, sway that the AFL was trying to hold over the broadcasters.
1: Yeah, and I think you—you you make a good point, Dion. And I think it—I think it kind of connects to what you said right off the top, in that you were kind of saying, well, you know, you think that media don't ask tough enough questions, and I—and I do think that um, while we empathise with athletes, and I absolutely do, I think. Uh, leagues clubs and athletes are also very good at strong arming the media very good and we've been on both sides we've seen it happen particularly clubs and individuals that have a lot of influence there there are unwritten rules and laws in place where you know that if you upset certain people in the industry you'll pay Uh, am i right in saying that
0: yeah i've just put something on the screen boys it's a good book to read if you want to read it it's called power politics in the afl it's called the boys club by mickey warner well ask Mick about that he was head uh, attack journo for the uh, herald sun he backed the afl players in the uh, essendon supplement saga and all of a sudden now he's not writing afl anymore he's writing general news so it's uh it's riveting that the power that sporting clubs have understandably as we said before it's their product but they want it to reflect the positivity with everyone but um, there are some people, you know, Grant Thomas has spoken significantly over this journey, the former St Kilda coach and player. Um, yeah, he was on, uh, I think at the time, Ch- Channel 9's uh, footy classified and then the SEN at the time. And all of a sudden his work uh, ceased because he had a fallout with the uh, head honcho, Andrew Dimitro at the time. So uh, it works both ways. And as you say, there is a, a, power, a power of balance. But also, too, I've seen a situation Uh, where AFL CEOs have sort of a certain CEO at a certain club was, you know, strong arming a a lot of young Jurdos and pressure and all of a sudden that person got marched soon after because people power comes through. So uh, I think it's part and parcel of the industry. Do I like it? No. Would I love full transparency? Yeah would I think if everyone could live on the same page and be all open and honest, that'd be perfect. But geez, we've got some work to do if that's going to be the case.
1: So we've talked a lot about the the challenges of this sports media dynamic. What needs to change and what are some solutions treaders that you see?
0: I think what it needs to change is the, I get, as Dion touched on before, the late John McCarthy's death is a massive story in sport. When he went away on a Port Adelaide footy trip, uh, I think it was his first year at Port Adelaide at the end of 2013, 23- 13th season, I think, by memory, and passed away, which was tragic. That's going to be a big story. You, you then go through the Essence and Supplement Saga. That is going to be a massive story. I think if there was actually honesty straight up and you talk about building a partnership together, I, I think you'll be in a situation where you'll you'll get honest respect. I, I know in my time, I, I had some journos I liked, I had some journos I didn't like, um, and a lot of it was about being human, I didn't like, as Dale mentioned before, those ones who are dead set bum crawlers and will, you know, kiss your butt in time, be your friend and then get a story out. One, they're not doing themselves any good because they just look soft. And the other side too is you don't get respect. I think the most important thing is honesty and respect. I clearly understand you don't want to be in a situation where you've got a coach and we had a great coach at Mark Williams, a premiership coach, but if you tip that line of the media, don't worry. He wasn't happy because it is in his sanctum and I get all that. That's their job is to keep stuff quiet. But it's a journalist's job to find out good stuff. And in doing that, I think you get the ultimate respect from people um, if you do it in a uh, honest and open way um, and, and a respectful way because people understand, players understand in Melbourne, they're going to get stopped. They get out of their car, they've got a mic in their mouth. In Adelaide here, we had clubs uh, threaten, Adelaide Footy Club, I think, threaten young journalists. don't you do that or we'll cut you out of press conferences. Well, they couldn't do that because you're, you're involved in the broadcast. So I think there's been a lot of maturity over a lot of times. But I think going forward, the content needs to be about growing and promoting and producing a great game, not looking for clickbait because sensationalism is getting worn out. You can only see it from people now. They're tuning out. They're tuning out of different forms of media because, one, they want the truth. And two, they want the headline to match the content, which it's rarely happening at the moment. And I think that's why we've seen in, in various instances, you know, I look at Twitter from a different perspective now, Elon Musk has taken over and all of a sudden there's a lot more different stuff being um, alive on content. It's like, wow, where's this stuff been? You know, I think, you yeah, know, the censoring of bits and pieces, I'd love for freedom of speech and respect to come back. And it's all about, for me, it sounds a bit ridiculous, but it's, it's more about sharing the love than it is about shooting the person. I think we've gone too far shooting people, more so than sharing love.
3: I think social media has been a problem too, hasn't it? I mean, because it's sort of led to, um, I think it's it's come at the cost of of quality journalism. And this is not just in sport, but in general news as well, um, because it's all about how fast you can get it out. And it's a it's a race. It, it, it's, it doesn't matter whether I'm right when I tell you a story, as long as I'm first, that's what most people are worried about. And, and and that's been the, what's driven, I think, a lot of the deterioration of, of quality of, of journalism, as I said, not just in sport, but um, in, in every, every department.
0: I can't disagree with that. Bang on. Absolutely bang on. Yeah, well, You've got, you got young journos out there now tweeting training. This is what's happened at training. For me, from a business perspective, well, why am I going to buy your content then? If you have already told me what well, it's already there, why am I going to sit there and, and do all that? You know, I think, you know, the thirst for a fan, like you look at what a thirst for a fan can do. Even clubs are on TikTok. They're on Facebook. They're on Twitter. They're on Instagram. You know, they're putting out their own websites, their own newsletters. They've got their own database. Then there's 6pm news. Um, then there's uh, the uh, medias. You know, what is it, accredited media, the AFL? I think there's more, one and a half accredited media for every AFL player there is. They've all got Twitter accounts. You know, there's no thirst there's got to be a thirst for quality. And I'm not saying it because we're recording a podcast now, but I spend a lot of my time now listening to podcasts and listening to intel and info and people's opinion because I want to understand the topic, not necessarily hear about the clickbait. Oh, why did that bloke sign five years? Well, give him an idea. Or why did that situation or that court make that decision? Oh, here's some bit more detail. Now, for me, it's gone from long form to super short form. I think we're going to a stage now where it's going to more long form because people are just sick of the. The up and down emotional yo-yo of oh it's great, oh it's crap again, oh it's great, oh it's crap again. You know, all around your football club, it's
1: it's too exhausting. I mean, maybe to bring it back full circle, you know, we we started off talking about Kyle Treaders. What would you say to a modern day athlete these days who who not only has mainstream media knocking on their door and all of those pressures, but then they've got social media in the mix? And they also had the ability to uh, get on the front foot like Kyle did if they want to. How should an athlete strategize and approach the media?
0: Oh, I think it's about building relationships. The, the one piece of advice I, I think I would give Kyle if we spoke about it again was he said, I'm not going to do another poolside interview. I think it, the real power would be to do the next poolside interview and to educate and to work with and go and call a meeting with it was a broadcasting nine, or if it was a producer or talk to Gian and go, hey, can you understand why I was annoyed or while I was this? you build that relationship and you have that respect and go, hey, and that she might have had a reason behind it. She might have gone, hey, it wasn't my best day. I was dealing with some other stuff going on. Like people are human, cameramen are human, um, journos are human. You know, what would you like as a player? Would you like getting out of your front door and you've got young kids there and a camera is running up to interview you and your young kids, you don't want them on the news or or, or online? Or do you go, hey guys? You text, somehow get a number and text you, hey, I'll be out soon. I got my kids. Please don't film my kids, and I'll come straight out and chat to you. Well, that comes on the onus of the player; it's not going to do a runner and bolt off. But you build that relationship to go, hey, hey, appreciate that, guys. No worries, you got your interview. Yeah, cool. No worries. You make it work. I know in a previous work when D and I and Monty yourself, we had contracted players at Nine News here in Adelaide. Um, you go and work with them on their day off. Generally, the day off was the day we had that one of their interview because it was a content driven space. It was like, well, mate, I'm studying today or I'm Travis Blokers, I'm having a surf down south. You know what? You work with them on their schedule. It works for you, it works for them. Because if either of you are peed off, the relationship's not going to work. So I think it's all about relationships and it's about being human. And it's as much on the player as it is on the onus of the journo. The journo's paranoid he's going to get his butt kicked because he missed out on the story. Well, if a player needs to show that respect to the journo and build that relationship, and then the journo in return... Don't screw over the player so you can all live in this happy world when it doesn't always work ideally. Sometimes you cop them and sometimes you've got to give a bit. You know what I mean? So I think that's the way forward. I think you've got to think bigger. And I touched on before with the AFL. I get it. The AFL wants to grow the game. I think they're going to understand they're a brand. I know that sounds real wanky. But you understand you're a brand. You're representing your personal sponsors, your club sponsors, your football club at all times. And how do you want to be perceived? Do you want to be perceived as a pain in the butt and a nightmare? Or do you want to be perceived to oh, he's a genuine bloke. He answered the tough question. No, I really like him. There's something about him I like. Well, most people want to be liked. And I think if you do that, then I think you know, the, the game's your oyster if you handle it with respect. And it's no different to young fans. You know, don't leave the signing autograph session early. Stay to get the last one because that kid will grow up to potentially play in your club or what I've seen. I've signed young things and now I'm in a situation where I'm seeing these guys play AFL footy. You're like, wow. Now, you get reminded of, oh, really? Oh, yeah, I signed you a jumper. I oh, was support supporter. Oh, cool. Now he's playing security. You know what I mean? Like, the world goes round. You don't forget those fans because I know what I was like. I was that little kid who was annoying everyone for the signatures now. And look at the real circle. My son wants to do that all the time now. You know, it's a wonderful thing, sport. And if you can stay involved in it and be respectful and build that relationship, the game's better for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe just to, to finish, I am, as we talk through all of this, you, you can't help but think that, we're due for a bit of a shift in terms of how we approach sports media. I think media has changed so much through the advent of social media and technology and everything else. I, I don't think sports media has kept up and we continue to do the same things just because we've always done them. And what was interesting, even if we think right back to our, our interview with John Cosner, you know. Um,
0: just think of the same thing.
1: Yeah, media guru. In the states, reflecting on the NBA's broadcast coverage, and he's like, "This is average. This is what we were doing in the '90s, and we're still doing the same stuff." So I don't have all the answers, but I'm just flagging it. it might be another talking point for another episode.
0: Oh, absolutely! And touch on it quickly. I watched the Big Bash the other night. There was Fox on. There was Seven on. I was watching Seven because I was in the bedroom getting ready for bed. I oh, watched this. The Perth Scorchers were dominating as they have. All of a sudden, the ball's hit for six. Then I'll check on social media and, and Foxtel was getting hammered because, um, no, sorry, got out. It was got out. So seven called the player getting out. Foxtel called it was going for six. Unfortunately, Foxtel was calling from a Melbourne studio. Channel seven was there. And that is the big challenge now facing media. A lot of broadcasters will be based out of Melbourne or Sydney, depending which sport you're following, and they'll be shooting via link and they can call off a screen and they only have a boundary rider there. And I think whilst it's a lot cheaper, because a lot of these guys are probably getting business class, you know, fly from Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane to Perth to cover a game or Sydney or whoever you are, the costs are exorbitant. And we know the rights that they're paying are exorbitant. So they've got to balance the books or lessen the damage, so to speak. But in that simple example, the seven coverage is way better than the Fox coverage, simply because the commentator could see it live as opposed to relying on the cameraman. And I think that'd hurt your product. And you know, people are they going to pay for a subscription if you continue to do that and the product drops away? It's a once-off, I know, but it's sometimes that can be the difference between getting the viewers' eyeballs and their money.
1: It's a good example. Well, thanks, boys. It's been uh, a fascinating chat, actually, with uh, your unique perspectives um, on either side there, with athletes and media and, and the world of sport. Uh, so for our listeners just remember there's a stack of great interviews that we've already got lined up so make sure you stick around and subscribe to the podcast and and make sure you keep track of the latest sports deals details and drama by joining our community at www.thebigdeal.au
0: Before you go, don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals, breaking sports biz news as it happens, and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au